coming up in this episode. If there was a uh, organization chart that showed who's who in ISIS, you have Baghdadi, and then if you were to look uh, about you know 10, 20, 30 deep into his organization, uh, all of those leaders are pretty much dead. The battle against ISIS in Iraq and Syria is heating up, and Colonel Ryan Dillon, spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, says if Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is around, his days are numbered. Most of ISIS's most experienced leadership has been taken off the battlefield one way or the other. Either they've been killed or captured. And as for those that are left behind. Any of the uh, main uh, high value targets uh, that we are hitting now, we're talking guys who are on the fourth, fifth, sixth string uh, on the JV squad, if you will. The crumbling of ISIS's so-called caliphate. The details coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant is running out of territory, money, fighters, and time. But experts fear the damage is already done. Three years after its stunning and brutal confiscation of thousands of miles of territory in Iraq and Syria, ISIS' so-called caliphate, while crumbling under withering international pressure, has spawned a complex global terror threat that authorities are struggling to contain. According to Manuel Navarrete, he's director of Europol's European Counterterrorism Center, this phenomenon is very flexible. He told Target USA, we've suffered from terrorist attacks conceived, prepared, and carried out in a very professional way in Paris, Brussels, and other places in the last 18 months. But the three deadly attacks in Britain in the last four months are a type of low-tech, high-impact form of terrorism sweeping Europe that he acknowledged presents a difficult challenge. That problem originated in 2014 in Iraq and Syria. ISIS, estimated at that time to be worth close to $2 billion, is now worth tens of millions. Still a lot of money, but U.S. military officials say the group has lost most of its sources of revenue linked to the territory it controlled, and it's not able to sell the oil in Iraq and no longer able to tax people in areas it doesn't control. Colonel Ryan Dillon, a spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, says they assess there are less than a thousand fighters left in Mosul. And he says in his own words, there's absolutely nowhere they can go. They have only two choices. And we're about to hear from him that they can either surrender or die. We spoke with Colonel Dillon in Iraq. In Iraq, uh, the Combined Joint Task Force continues to support the Iraqi security forces as they continue to put pressure on the ISIS fighters that remain inside of the final three neighborhoods 
the remaining five square kilometers that ISIS holds within Mosul. The, this is the toughest and most difficult fighting uh, to date in the campaign to defeat ISIS. And we have seen that this is very tight and difficult and dense urban combat environment. We're talking urban canyons that are well def uh, defended by ISIS fighters who have had almost three years to dig in and prepare for this inevitable uh, attack and what is now going to be the liberation of the largest stronghold that ISIS has ever had. And the coalition has supported our Iraqi security force partners throughout the campaign and throughout this operation to liberate Mosul by providing intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. We provide air and ground artillery to support their progress into the, uh, the middle of the city uh, as we continue to push it up against ISIS. We provide the training for much of the Iraqi security forces, not just the army or the counterterrorism service, but also for the police, the border guards, and also the tribal mobilization forces. They're the local forces that will be uh, responsible for the police-like functions after ISIS is defeated and no longer hold physical space and they will devolve back into a counterinsurgency. So mm -hmm. uh, we are planning for the future. Uh, and in a way that we are doing that is we're training our Iraqi security partners uh, to provide that wide area security as we see the threat of ISIS uh, devolve into a counterinsurgency. What do you see as the numbers strength of ISIS at this point uh, in Iraq? In Mosul, uh, we assess that the final remaining fighters that are in uh, the old city, uh, we, they are reduced to less than a thousand, and you know it could be uh, even less less than that. But uh, uh, we assess that uh, it, that the ISIS fighters that are remaining in Mosul is less than a thousand. So are these the hardcore ones or the ones that couldn't get out or the ones that didn't want to leave? How do you categorize them if you do? Well, what we have seen in the past is that once the leadership, once ISIS leaders know and understand that the isolation ring before the actual assault and the liberation, uh, they will have a good sense of when it's time to cut and run. And we've seen this many times when ISIS leaders uh, will depart and sneak out of a uh, particular area that is going to be taken and will move on somewhere else and leave the fighting to the uh, largely, oftentimes, the foreign fighters who will uh, fight to the death. So we assess that there are less than a thousand enemy uh, that remained in West Mosul. There is absolutely nowhere that they can go and they have Two choices uh, that are left. They can either surrender or they can die. And uh, I think mm -hmm. the Iraqi security forces are prepared uh, for for both. Mm -hmm. uh, but we know that that they have put up tough uh, a tough fight. Uh, ISIS has. Uh, they do not want to give up Mosul uh, willingly. 
they certainly do not have any concerns at all for the civilians that are remaining in Mosul. Uh, many of the civilians that are attempting to flee and vacate are being shot by ISIS snipers. And those that are uh, caught as they are trying to flee, there are several reports of executions of the civilians as they are trying to depart. Mm-hmm. In, 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 in the execution of your mission, finding, fixing, and finishing has been at the top of the list of to-do uh, since this whole thing got underway. What do you think is the disposition of uh, the U.S. role in uh, finding, fixing, and finishing this fight in, in Mosul? And uh, what do you think is necessary to bring it to a conclusion? Well, I think that, uh, well, the formula that the United States and the the coalition has taken is that uh, we're working by, with, and through our Iraqi security force partners. And as far as the finding, the fixing, and the finishing, I think it's it's very easy to say that the finding and the fixing has already been done. The the isolation and the there's absolutely nowhere for ISIS fighters that remain in Mosul for them to go. So they'll either be finished in the sense of uh, that they will be killed because they will fight and die, or they will surrender. And uh, so that's how we see uh, Mosul finishing up here. Colonel, they've been from the very beginning very innovative in the types of uh, tradecraft and tactics they've employed to remain viable, uh, even with uh, small numbers uh, of fighters. Uh, are you still seeing that kind of innovation now from 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 ISIS fighters? Uh, we are seeing uh, less so. And I, I know that it was a point of discussion a few months ago that the use of drones by ISIS uh, made a splash. Uh, I'll tell you, the Iraqi security forces have been awfully nimble in figuring out how to deal with that threat. And they're not only dealing with the ISIS drone threat and now being able to largely uh, face that threat and and dismantle and, uh, and degrade that threat, the Iraqi security forces have pulled a jujitsu, if you will, and have uh, now used drones to their advantage. And so you now have ISIS uh, that cannot, in a way, stop what the Iraqi security forces are doing with the use of their drones. And a, a good example of the progress that the Iraqi security forces have made, uh, just heard recently from um, uh, some commanders on the ground, that the Iraqi security forces using, with the use of drones, uh, are finding and fixing and using uh, their off uh, commercial off-the-shelf drones to identify and call in strikes. So as an example, the Iraqi strike cell uh, had some better targets and visibility that uh, even within the, the U.S. strike cell, you know, we're not tracking. So. What I mean is they have been able to use the techniques and the different type of innovations that ISIS use and are now using them to their advantage. One of the things that was very important in this fight that took place long ago was targeting of their resources, the Islamic State organization's resources, and that included money, uh, the places where they stored money. I'm assuming that at this point 
they really don't have any storage for anything at this point. Basically, what they have on their backs and in their hands is pretty much it. Is that close to correct? Um, I mean, we will. We still see uh, some ISIS pockets that are still remain uh, throughout Iraq and Syria. So we're talking about Hawija, uh, mm-hmm. which is not far from Kirkuk. Mm-hmm. You've got Talafar, which is to the west of Mosul. Uh, but the popular mobilization forces that are underneath the umbrella of the government of Iraq have largely encircled Talafar and have been dominating ISIS and taking ground from them. Uh, in particular, over the course of the last week, the popular mobilization forces were able to take back more than 600 square kilometers of ground from ISIS, and Talafar is almost completely surrounded. So we know that ISIS still uh, maintains some pockets, and they are still uh, trying to find ways to finance their uh, operations and their movement, if you will. But we are identifying ISIS targets all the time. And we will continue to use our uh, intelligence to identify targets and degrade and dismantle their ability to conduct battlefield operations, their ability to inspire, plan, and finance and direct terror attacks, and their ability to recruit and move foreign terrorist fighters. And so we are uh, on a regular basis uh, finding these targets and servicing them and taking these resources off of the battlefield. And as we move into Syria, a couple of quick questions uh, regarding some current events that have taken place. You mentioned the inspiration that, that, that ISIS provides for others in other places around the world to launch attacks, and you're getting after their ability to do that by keeping them on the run and taking away the resources and essentially the time and the space to engage in Iraq and Syria. But, um, you know, we've seen a number of attacks in the last few months, um, three in the U.K. in the last month, and, you know, France and Belgium and Germany have been under heavy pressure um, how much of that do you believe emanates from this threat in Iraq and in Syria? Well, there's no question about it, and you alluded to it, that not allowing them sanctuary, not allowing them time, and not allowing them the resources uh, will certainly hamper their ability to conduct external attacks. We know as uh, we are within three kilometers from uh, in the isolation ring around Raqqa and are about to kick off the seizure and the liberation of Raqqa. Raqqa was the planning uh, state, uh, was a planning location. Raqqa was a planning location, uh, as we understand, for the Paris and Berlin attacks. Raqqa is the de facto capital for the so-called caliphate. And This will be a a big blow to their prestige, and we know that by defeating ISIS, uh, even in Raqqa and everywhere else that we've been able to mop them up in Iraq or in Syria, has put a big, uh, has really slowed down the amount of foreign fighters that have flowed into the countries. At their high water mark, uh, we saw and assessed that there were 1,500 foreign fighters that were flowing into Iraq and Syria on a monthly basis. We assess now that it is less than 100 a month that are flowing in. So the uh, 
liberation of Raqqa will be yet another significant blow to ISIS as we work to militarily defeat them and take away their physical space. Speaking of Raqqa, do you have a, a figure, a ballpark figure, on the strength of ISIS in, in, Iraq, in Raqqa? Uh, we assess that the enemy is about 4,000 strong in Raqqa. The pressure that's being brought to bear on them, has it been because of a specific action uh, or a specific um, or grouping of activity against the Islamic State in Syria that's resulted in this, in this degradation in their abilities? I'm trying to figure out where the main points of pressure are coming from in Syria. Yes. In northern Syria, the Syrian Democratic Forces have been the partner force that has had the most success against ISIS. And we've seen their success recently in Manbij. We've seen their success in Tabqa. And they are the force made up of both Syrian Arabs and Syrian Kurds who are poised to liberate Raqqa here in the very near future. Once that operation starts, what do we expect to see? You said it should start very soon, the liberation uh, operation. Is that going to be similar to what we saw in, in, in Mosul, or is this a different animal? Uh, well, Mosul is certainly uh, much larger, and I've seen estimates that uh, Mosul is about the same size as the city of Philadelphia. Raqqa is not uh, that large, but Raqqa holds a uh, large significance to ISIS, and similar to the amount of time that ISIS has had to dig in and prepare defenses is very similar to Mosul. We very much expect to see the same types of tactics that ISIS has used in Mosul, in particular their use of the car bomb or the vehicle-borne improvised explosive device. And the coalition has continued to support the isolation and will be there to support the liberation. Uh, but in the last week alone, we've been able to conduct 23 strikes, mainly on defensive positions that ISIS is uh, trying to develop and, and build up. Uh, and also their vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices that we find and factories that produce these uh, V-bids or these car bombs. Colonel, what role does does social media play and, and, and encrypted communications play in this in these organiz in this organization being able to do to to do what it does um i you know what as far as the uh the coalition uh, that is the combined joint task force that is not um something that we particularly um you know spend a lot of time i don't want to say focusing on the greater coalition uh -huh. effort that is based uh, out of london uh they have uh, been able to really work uh, across the board with social media sites, uh, with the different countries to degrade and to really limit the use of social media by ISIS and extremist groups uh, across the world. Uh, so that is their ability to uh, keep propaganda up. Um, and I know that I could probably point you in a better direction. I'm not as well sure. poised to give you an answer on that, but there certainly are elements of the greater coalition, the 71 international partners uh, that are all working together to include Interpol uh, as an example to not just uh, on the social media side and aspects, but also to 
share information amongst the countries to prevent foreign fighters uh, from traveling uh, in and out of borders. Yeah. Are you still finding things of value when you, um, you know, forensic and intelligence value when you uh, find these 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 fighters and, and, and these camps or places where they've been or when you actually conduct strikes and, you know, either kill or capture people? Are you still finding things of, 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 of intelligence and forensic use? Uh, whenever we uh, conduct a strike or whenever we liberate an area, we very much will take the information that uh, we have been able to grab from these uh, successful liberations and strikes and use them uh, across the board through all the different agencies that we have uh, working together to defeat ISIS. One of the things I ask all of your colleagues before you was the question regarding Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. And, um, you know, I know time has passed and things have changed, but um, he's still out there somewhere. What what have you learned about his whereabouts in the last, uh, well, since you've been uh, on post? I think that what we have been able to really see is that uh, if he is still out there, I think he has a very little impact on uh, the ability to really do anything to reverse the uh, the downward spiral that I- ISIS has continued to move in since the uh, coalition has began to work with our partners in Iraq and Syria. Uh, more than almost 60,000 square kilometers of ground taken, millions of people re- uh, returned to their homes, no longer working, uh, no longer under the thumb of ISIS. Um, you know, we continue to see ISIS lose. Uh, across the battlefield. They have not been able to retake a single inch of ground from Iraqi security forces or from uh, partners in Syria. So I don't want to say it's inconsequential, uh, but I think that uh, no matter what where and wherever uh, al-Baghdadi is, uh, if we find him, um, if we will certainly uh, strike him and remove him from the battlefield. But I think it's also fair to say that if there was a uh, organization chart that showed who's who in ISIS. You have Baghdadi, and then if you were to look uh, about you know, 10, 20, 30 deep into his organization, uh, all of those leaders are pretty much dead. So any of the uh, main uh, high-value targets uh, that we are hitting now, we're talking guys who are on the fourth, fifth, sixth string uh, on the JV squad, if you will. Yeah, and you know, I'm not trying to do a trick question here. I just uh, want to ask this and 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 understand what you're saying. You use the word "if." Is there some thought that he may not uh, be alive anymore? Uh, I can't. I can't characterize that at all. I have. Okay. I really don't know, uh, JJ. Mm-hmm. So if he is out there and uh, and we find him, I am confident that our professionals uh, across the coalition uh, will. Um, do all the right things to uh, remove him from the battlefield. There was some information earlier today that I got that there was a British ISIS member that was captured over the weekend uh, that gave himself up. Jihadi Jack was his name. Have you heard anything about that? Uh, I have seen open source reporting, uh, but I I don't have anything else or further to comment. And uh, I would direct you to the British, uh, I don't know who the right authority is, but Mm -hmm probably their uh, equivalent of our Department of State. Gotcha. Is there anything else you want to add on this topic? 
there are going to be obviously talks at the diplomatic levels about the type of support that will be provided by the coalition clearly through Iraq and the government of Iraq on what that looks like. And But I will say the things that we are doing now to prepare for the future and the training of the Iraqi security forces, I think is, is incredibly important for understanding what the threat is going to look like after ISIS devolves and, and comes uh, becomes a counterinsurgency again. So as the, um, as of, Yesterday, the total number of Iraqi security forces that the coalition has been able to train just surpassed 104,000 uh, security force members, and that includes 40,000 from the Iraqi army, 16,000 police, 5,000 border guard forces, 20, uh, 21,000 Peshmerga. 13,500 counterterrorism service, and 9,500 tribal mobilization forces. And I think I explained who those guys were. Yes. Correct? Yes. Yes. And, and while Iraq still has a functioning government, uh, Syria uh, is a little more difficult to, uh, to skin the cat when it comes to uh, training established security forces. However, uh, we... Uh, just started a program to train the Raqqa Internal Security Force. And these will be uh, local members from the area who will maintain the security after ISIS is defeated in Raqqa. And we just finished uh, less than a month ago uh, the train the trainer phase mm -hmm. of about 50 um, Raqqawis or local uh, fighters who will now train um, you know, many more of these uh, fighters and security personnel to deal with this threat after ISIS is defeated in Raqqa. That's excellent information. Colonel Dillon, thank you for taking time to talk to us today, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for all your great work. My pleasure, and I look forward to working with you again in the future and uh, talking about how all this will continue to develop as we continue to push ISIS out, and not push them out. We're encircling and annihilating them. Uh, but as we defeat ISIS in Iraq and Syria, that's Colonel Ryan Dillon, spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve. One quick footnote, Dillon says Raqqa was the planning location for the Paris and Berlin attacks. It's the de facto capital for that so-called caliphate, and he says when they take Raqqa away from ISIS, it will be a big blow to their prestige. That's it for this episode. Coming up on our next program, whether it's terrorism, anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, intelligence, or the U.S.'s own counterintelligence drama that's playing out in the Congress, check us out on Target USA for the latest. Thank you for joining us, and please visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's one word, Tango, Uniform, Sierra, Alpha Podcast. And let me know what you think at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's one word, J, the color green, at WTOP.com. That's whiskey, tango, Oscar, Papa, dot com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. 
There's a whole lot of good things happening on the Podcast One Forbes Network. Forbes U30 is a show about young innovators, disruptors, and entrepreneurs like the minimalists Joshua and Ryan, electropop artists like Lights, CBS Search Party star Charles Rogers, the women of YouTube's Clever TV, plus many more. And the Forbes interview is a deep dive into the minds of the folks who could be on the cover of the magazine, like Tinder founder Sean Rad, hero pilot Captain Sully Sullenberg, Moneyball author Michael Lewis, pop star Jason Derulo, and the list goes on and on. Subscribe or listen to Forbes U30 and the Forbes interview now on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or podcastone.com.